well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, a special post-election chaos edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, as it were. My name is Cam Edwards. Thank you for being a part of the program today. So we are going to uh, take a look at where things stand right now from the uh, presidential race on down uh, in terms of the uh, pro-Second Amendment vote. And I've got to tell you, uh, it is not the best news for gun owners, but it is also not the worst news for gun owners either. Uh, in, in a crazy year, it should be no surprise that we got a crazy uh, election. Uh, so let's just take a look. As I sit down to uh, tape this uh, midday on Wednesday, this is what the official uh, Electoral College map looks like at the moment. 227 for Joe Biden, 213 for Donald Trump, still uh, outstanding. Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alaska. Alaska will go to uh, Donald Trump handily. The uh, big questions uh, remain in those other uh, states, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Arizona. <laughs> and I will be honest with you, I think this is uh, likely going to end up in court in multiple states. I I told you yesterday on the program, I would rather be honest with you and tell you, oh, no, no, than lie to you and, and try to sell you something I don't believe. So this is what I honestly believe right now. I believe that this is going to be going to the courts in multiple states uh, to determine the uh, presidency of the United States. And I suspect it will be several weeks before we officially know uh, who the next president is going to be. Now, there are also still some uh, outstanding Senate races. Right now, it looks like 47-47 uh, with six seats left to be uh, decided. Uh, however, I, I, I got to say, I mean, it looks like, just based on what we're seeing right now, uh, it looks like it's going to be impossible for Democrats to get a huge majority. Uh, right now, they're, again, 47-47 with a number of states outstanding. Susan Collins looks like she's going to win Maine uh, pretty handily. That would give Republicans 48. Uh, Dan Sullivan, I think, is going to win Alaska. That would give Republicans 49. Uh, in North Carolina, Tom Tillis uh, leading by uh, almost 100,000 votes over Cal Cunningham with uh, 94% of the votes uh, already counted. I think Tillis wins. That would get Democrats to 50. Uh, in Michigan, John James still clinging to a small lead over Gary Peters. This one could end up going to a recount. I mean, I think the final margin of victory in Michigan is going to be so close uh, that uh, it likely will trigger recounts and perhaps even uh, some court challenges as well. Uh, Arizona, we saw a, a big pickup for gun control advocates. Mark Kelly winning that Senate race over Martha McSally. Uh, we had spoken about the uh, Kelly McSally race on a couple of occasions here on Cam and Company. I got to tell you, I mean, there are going to be all kinds of uh, articles, probably even some books written about what happened in Arizona last night for uh, uh, Republicans. But I, I, I think a big part of this uh, is the weakness of Martha McSally as a candidate. I mean, I'm looking at the votes right now in Arizona and Donald Trump is, is outperforming Martha McSally uh, in the Senate, Martha McSally running behind Donald Trump. So it, it very well could be. I know a lot of folks were saying that Donald Trump was going to be a drag 
uh, on the electorate uh, in Arizona uh, because of his, you know, uh, criticism of uh, John McCain. I think it's likely that Sally ultimately was a drag on Donald Trump uh, in Arizona. So, uh, again, we've also got uh, a couple of Senate races out in Georgia that are going to be absolutely crucial right now. Uh, 91% of the votes cast. David Perdue with a uh, about a three-point lead over John Ossoff. Uh, raw vote total of about 200,000 more votes than John Ossoff in that Senate seat. Then in the uh, special election, that's going to go... Uh, no, no, no candidate got over 50% of the jungle primary. So you're going to have a, a runoff election between uh, Raphael Warnock and Kelly Loeffler. Uh, but again, with, with 47 Senate seats right now, four Republicans, you add in Collins and Maine that get you to 48. Sullivan in Alaska gets you to uh, 49. Tillis would get you to 50. Uh, David Perdue winning would get you to 51. And, and I think that it is likely that David Perdue wins against John Ossoff. Uh, and Republicans keep control of the Senate. But I, I think a worst case scenario right now looks to be a 50-50 split in the Senate. That would leave, if Joe Biden wins the presidency, Kamala Harris as the uh, tie-breaking vote, uh, on paper anyway. But, I, you know, I look at a state like West Virginia, uh, and I wonder when and, and how often uh, Democrats might actually lose votes uh, in the Senate. Now, Joe Manchin, for instance, in West Virginia, uh, he was elected in 2018 uh, with just 49% of the vote. Uh, so he's not up until 2024. But I can see Manchin refusing to go along with, uh, let's say, court packing plans or nuking the judicial filibuster. I, I, I think, uh, as I talked to you today, uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult, even if Joe Biden wins, for the Senate to all of a sudden remove all of those checks and balances uh, that would allow them to pass anti-gun legislation with 51 votes. And that's absolutely crucial to averting complete and utter disaster uh, under a uh, potential Joe Biden presidency. Now, over on the House side, I got to tell you, I mean, we saw some pickups last night. Uh, some races that I did not think were going to, well, not not that I didn't think were going to go the way, but some races that certainly Democrats did not think were going to, way, uh, going to go the way that they did uh, turned out with some pretty strong victories. So Colorado's third congressional district, Lauren Boebert. This is a Republican district. Scott Tipton was the uh, GOP congressman for about a decade there. He was unseated in the primary, and Democrats immediately tried to nationalize this race. They poured millions of dollars. Uh, into efforts to support the uh, Democrat Diane Mitz Bush. It was not enough. Lauren Boebert ends up winning. Looks like she's going to end up uh, winning by about five or six points there in Colorado 3. Uh, that's absolutely huge. Again, now that's not a pickup, but that is uh, definitely a pickup for gun owners because Scott Tipton, while he wasn't bad, uh, he was not a, a leader on the issue. I think Lauren Boebert promises to be a leader on Second Amendment issues uh, in the House of Representatives. New Mexico, 2nd Congressional District. This one was a pickup for gun owners. Yvette Harrell defeating, uh, oh man, I, I'm so bad about pronouncing this name, uh, Wachtel, uh Torres Small, uh, who was the incumbent Democrat, by the way. And you look at this now, uh, again, there's still some votes to be counted, but Harrell has been declared the winner uh, in this race. And it looks like, ultimately, 
she's going to win pretty handily. She's up by about 10,000 votes uh, raw total right now and uh, up by eh, about six and a half points uh, as a percentage. This was a race in which the Second Amendment was critically important. Tora Small was one of those Democrats who ran proclaiming that she supported the Second Amendment and then turned around and voted for uh, Nancy Pelosi's gun control bills. She actually cut a campaign ad in which she's out in the desert. Uh, you know, I think she was trying to hunt. I think that's what it was supposed to look like, but it kind of looks like she was just plinking uh, out in the desert. But she talked about Tora Small, did, her, her, her gun ownership and her support for the Second Amendment. Voters in New Mexico, they didn't buy it. And uh, they sent Torres Small packing. We'd also talked about three races to keep an eye on in the early going of the election to kind of give you an idea of, of how the election was uh, going to turn out. And I feel pretty good about picking these races. Um, the first that one we talked about was New York's 21st Congressional District, Elise Stefanik, who at one point was the uh, youngest member of Congress. She was facing off in a rematch from 2018 against Hedra Cobb, a uh, Democrat who in 2018, um, had a controversy, a campaign controversy, when she was caught on tape telling volunteers for her campaign that she supported a so-called assault weapons ban, but she couldn't say it publicly because it would cost her the election. She was right. She lost in 2018. For whatever reason, Democrats couldn't find anybody else to, uh, to nominate in uh, 2020, and so they ran Tedra Cobb again, and the results this time around Pretty overwhelming. Elise Stefanik, 82% of the uh, estimated votes reported, leading Tedra Cobb by almost 30 points there in New York's 21st Congressional District. So it looks like Stefanik is going to win by an even larger margin than she did two years ago. And that was something I said to keep an eye on. The next race I said you should look at was Virginia's 7th Congressional District, race between incumbent Democrat Abigail Spanberger, a first-term Democrat, and Nick Freitas. Now, Virginia has, you know, I, I, I live in Virginia. I've lived here since 2004. I have been hearing for years, oh, Virginia's lost. Virginia, it's just, and I've said, no, I don't think that, I don't think that's the case. Northern Virginia certainly makes a statewide win very difficult for conservatives and for Second Amendment advocates, but I don't think that the state is a lost cause. The 7th Congressional District was uh, uh, talked about as one of the most competitive in the country, and it is right now one of the most competitive in the country. We have not seen a call in this race with 86% of the votes reported. Nick Freitas leads Abigail Spanberger by about 250 votes. Yeah. So this one might actually come down to a retention for Democrats. Uh, Republicans, though, were able to retain a seat in Virginia as well. The 5th Congressional District, this was a Denver Riggleman seat. He was ousted. He's a Republican. He was ousted in the primary. Actually, we had a convention. We didn't have a primary. Uh, by Bob Good. Uh, Democrats ran Dr. Cameron Webb, a, a young doctor and attorney from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, guy who uh, on paper looked like the Democrats' dream candidate. And Cameron Webb went down to defeat. The 5th District has been called for Bob Good, so that seat will remain in Republican hands. The uh, third race that I talked about as, as sort of a bellwether to keep an eye on was down in North Carolina, North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. Madison Cawthorn. Uh, 25 years old, running for Congress against Mo Davis. This is Mark Meadows' old seat. So it is, it's been redistricted a little bit. It was like an R plus 14 district. Then it was, I think it got down to like an R plus nine. Uh, this was still a race that Madison Cawthorn should have won. But the polls beforehand showed Mo Davis, and there had only been a couple of polls there in North Carolina 11, but both of them showed Mo Davis 
with a lead, won a three-point lead, won a five-point lead. So that was, again, polling that predicted a blue wave election. How did it turn out in North Carolina, 11? Well, there you go. 98% of the votes reported in Madison Cawthorn winning that race, going away. 12-point victory for Madison Cawthorn, who becomes the youngest member of Congress now at the age of 25, uh, in a, I, I think, honestly, a race in which you could argue that Cawthorn actually outperformed not only the polling expectations, clearly. I mean, again, as much as a 17-point swing between the, the pre-election polling and the final results, but uh, Madison Cawthorn, I think, even outperformed the uh, the, the Cook uh, Partisan Voting Index, which, again, had it at like a R plus 9 district. So a, a very good night for Republicans, uh, uh, I, I think, overall in the House. I think ultimately Republicans are going to pick up a few seats in the House. And that means that it was a pretty good night for gun owners in the House, because unfortunately, as you and I both know, Democrats have largely become the, the anti-gun party. Um, and in fact, we actually saw the political demise of the last A-rated by the NRA House Democrat. On Tuesday night, Colin Peterson, who has uh, represented a district in northern Minnesota since, I believe, the 1970s, uh, suffered his first election loss in decades, defeated by a Republican. Now, in terms of Second Amendment grades, this was a, a an A versus an A, R versus D. Uh, Peterson had the endorsement of the National Rifle Association as an incumbent. Uh, the NRA has a pro-incumbent policy. If there's a good pro-gun lawmaker. They say, well, let's keep him there. Uh, so the NRA had endorsed Colin Peterson in this race, but the Republican challenger also uh, A-rated by the NRA. Uh, so gun owners are not going to lose anything by the Republican winning the seat. But it is, I, I think, another sign of trouble for Democrats. You know, going back to the presidential polling right now, Donald Trump uh, making incredible inroads in South Florida uh, among uh, Cuban-Americans, uh, Puerto Rican Americans, Dominican Americans, uh, on the border with uh, Texas and, Mex uh, and Mexico. You actually saw Donald Trump make huge inroads uh, among Hispanic voters. These are, are largely rural areas. Uh, you can go back to New Mexico's 2nd Congressional District as well, where Tora Small lost to Yvette Harrell, uh, another largely rural district that Democrats could not hold on to, I think in large part, because of the anti-gun mentality of the Democrat Party nationally. I know that there are rural Democrats who are gun owners and Second Amendment supporters, because I know some of them. So I, I know that they're not unicorns. I know that they exist. Uh, and it may be that, uh, you know, they're, they're registered Democrats, but they often will vote Republican because they're voting for their Second Amendment rights. But uh, we saw this really take hold. On Tuesday night, and Democrats have a big problem going forward by embracing this anti-gun agenda. It will cost them. Look, it's not going to cost them Elon Omar's seat. It's not going to cost them Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's seat, but it will cost them uh, seats in New Mexico. It will cost them seats in Texas. It will cost them seats in Florida because it already has. Whether or not the Democrats learn a lesson from this election and 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 allow for you know those moderate blue dog pro gun Democrats to have a voice in their party, I think is going to be a a really crucial issue for the Democrats uh, as they look ahead to the twenty twenty two midterms.
And if they don't get their house in order, if they continue to be the party that is defined as being hostile to your right to keep and bear arms at a time in which millions of Americans are embracing their Second Amendment rights for the very first time in their lives, they're going to continue to see an erosion of support uh, in a lot of these rural and I think even suburban districts. So, again, that's sort of what the House looks like. Now, there were also some ballot issues uh, on the uh, uh, before voters in a number of states. Uh, in Oregon, there were four rural counties that had Second Amendment sanctuary ordinances that were put before voters. Two of those counties actually passed the Second Amendment sanctuary ordinances. Two of them defeated the ordinances. I, I Again, being completely honest with you, I kind of expected all four of these to go down to defeat because public officials, including county sheriffs, had spoken out against these measures. They had said, look, these are unenforceable. We can't do anything with them. If, if we pass them, it's just going to get legally challenged. Uh, and these were Republican officials who were really downplaying the idea of uh, approving these Second Amendment sanctuary ordinances. And half of them passed uh, in the state of Oregon. That's really good news. Now, I will say this. I, I, I suspect that those Republican officials are right. I think that those ordinances are likely to face a court challenge. Uh, I think that um, it is going to be difficult to legally enforce these measures, which basically say uh, that any public official that tries to enforce an unconstitutional gun law is guilty of a misdemeanor crime. They can face jail time. They can face fines. Whether or not this actually gets tossed out as unconstitutional, I mean, it's that's tough. Whether it's actually enforceable, I mean, I think that's another question. Um, in Montana, there was also a, a ballot initiative called uh, uh, LR-130, which was a, and is, a measure dealing with firearms uh, reciprocity laws in Montana. I'm, I'm sorry, not reciprocity. Uh, firearms preemption laws in Montana. Excuse me, I'm working about three hours sleep here. So if I mess up a word here and there, please forgive me. Uh, reciprocity in Montana. Now, Montana already has firearms reciprocity written into state law. Uh, but after Billings, Montana, tried to pass a local gun control ordinance, ultimately smacked down by the state Supreme Court, lawmakers in Montana decided, you know what, we want more protections. We want to specifically state that these localities cannot pass laws dealing with concealed carry uh, or, or things of that nature. Um, this is very good. It's going to be very close. 94% of the votes are in as I'm talking to you right now. Um, and right now, LR-130 is leading by about 6,000 votes. 50.5% yes, 49.5% no. So it is actually a trailing behind what we saw in, in the uh, Montana governor's race, the Montana Senate race, uh, which were both uh, successful victories for Second Amendment advocates. So Steve Daines winning that Senate seat in Montana against Steve Bullock, the uh, anti-gun governor who had tried to portray himself as a friend of gun owners. Didn't work. Absolutely did not work. Uh, and then in the governor's race, Greg Gianforte, a Republican member of Congress from Montana, is going to be the next governor. And this is huge for gun owners because uh, Steve Bullock, the outgoing governor, the guy who just lost that U.S. Senate race, he had vetoed constitutional carry as governor. It had been approved by the legislature, not with a veto-proof majority, but it had been approved by the legislature, and then they sent it to his desk, and he turned around, and he vetoed it and sent it back. 
Greg Gianforte on the campaign trail spoke about his support for constitutional carry. So I think it is very, very likely uh, that in the next session uh, in the legislature in Montana, they're going to pass a constitutional carry bill. It's going to get to uh, Governor-elect Gianforte's desk, and he will sign it into law, and uh, Montana will become the 17th constitutional carry state uh, in the United States. And that would be absolutely huge. As far as the uh, the big losers, you know, again, I, I talked about Martha McSally in Arizona. I'm I'm still angry over how I'm 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 angry and disappointed over how Martha McSally tried to bring up gun control in that race. Mark Kelly, the uh, husband of Gabrielle Giffords, the co-founder of the Giffords Gun Control Group, should have been really easy. Should have been very easy to stick with a consistent message of don't let Mark Kelly. Californicate your gun rights because Giffords, his gun control group, gave California the highest grade in the nation in terms of their gun control laws and gave Arizona an F. Instead, Martha McSally, when she did bring up gun control, talked about Giffords as an organization that supported uh, extremists like Elon Omar and Alexandria Castro Cortez, which is sure, that's true, but I don't think that matters as much to Arizona voters as losing their Second Amendment rights and facing the types of California-style gun control laws that Mark Kelly wants to impose on the nation. So that was an issue that I think Martha McSally left off the table. So I I will consider Martha McSally one of the big political losers uh, on Tuesday night. But the other big loser, I think maybe the biggest loser of all, Michael Bloomberg. Yep. Bloomberg spent a billion dollars running for president in 2020. And, uh, well, we know how that worked out, right? Campaign lasted four months. <laughs> I think he won. Did he win one state? I think he won one state. And that was it. And then he turned around and said, you know what? All right, fine. Fine. I'm not going to run for president anymore. I'm dropping out. But you know what? I'm going to put my uh, campaign cash uh, into getting Joe Biden elected and into flipping state legislatures around the country. Yeah. Michael Bloomberg wanted, uh, in fact, every time for gun safety, spent millions of dollars in Texas trying to flip the Texas State House. They failed. They spent more than a million dollars in Iowa trying to flip the State House. They failed. Republicans actually picked up seats. Uh, spent over a million dollars in Minnesota trying to flip the State Senate. They failed. Spent over a million dollars in North Carolina trying to flip the State House. There's still some outstanding races, but it doesn't look like every town's going to be successful. The one place where every town may have made inroads was Arizona. And again, I don't think this was gun control that was the issue here. I, I think that there were problems with the Trump campaign. I think there were a lot of problems with the Sally campaign. And I think that was a drag on a lot of uh, state representatives and state senators uh, who happen to be Republican in Arizona this year. So it is possible that Arizona's legislature will flip. It's possible that both... House and Senate will become Democrat-controlled. You still have a Republican governor that should serve as a check uh, on um, uh, the the passions of anti-gun activists, but it is possible that they will make inroads in Arizona. But largely, a a bad night for the gun-sense candidates and a really bad night for Michael Bloomberg, who tried to flip these state legislatures and failed in state after state after state, even though he managed to outspend pro-Second Amendment forces uh, considerably 
uh, on the ground in these states. So that's another lesson for gun owners that, you know, even with the financial advantage, and we saw this in the Kentucky Senate race with Mitch McConnell, where he was outspent by like $100 million, and he still just clobbered Amy McGrath in the uh, contest, South Carolina, where uh, Jamie Harrison was rumored to be neck and neck with Lindsey Graham, and Lindsey Graham ended up winning it, running away, uh, despite uh, Harrison's cash advantage. Money matters in politics, but it is not the only thing in politics. Turning out your vote matters. Turning out your base matters. Getting people involved and engaged matters. And again, in races uh, all across the country, we saw how that played out on election night. So we do still have a lot of unanswered questions. Um, We still definitely have the potential to have a pro-Second Amendment president in the White House. As I said, I think this is ultimately going to go to the courts. Uh, But I think that we are in pretty good shape to have a a firewall in the Senate against the worst kinds of abuses, nuking the uh, legislative filibuster, packing the Supreme Court. I think it's going to be really difficult uh, for Democrats to do those things, at least over the next two years, even if Joe Biden becomes president. So that's where we stand right now. Things obviously subject to change, but... uh, not, again, as I'll go back to what I said at the beginning, not a horrible night for gun owners, not, a, um, not a, an outstanding night for gun owners. But I, I think if you were to put 10 Second Amendment supporters in a room with 10 gun control advocates today, the gun control advocates would be more upset than the pro-Second Amendment forces at this moment in time. Obviously, if Joe Biden wins... Well, we'll talk about what that might mean maybe on tomorrow's Cam and Company because there is still a lot of damage that a Biden administration could do to our Second Amendment, even if they don't have the votes to ram through uh, Biden's gun ban plan. So we'll get into some of that on the next edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. In the meantime, though, thank you for being a part of this edition of the program. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media. That way you'll never miss an episode. Also, you can subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts. Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there as well. I would say enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, but I imagine probably going to be a lot of pins and needles and bated breath and queasy stomachs and things like that. So breathe deep. We'll get through this. And we'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Barry Arms Cam and Company. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free.